What's up, guys? This is Blake, host of the That You May Know Him podcast, and welcome back to Two for Ten, the show where we study the Bible one book at a time, one verse at a time. On today's episode of Two for Ten, we're going to see Jesus give one of his faithful disciples from the church at Pergamum a nickname. What is this nickname that Jesus assigns to his faithful disciple? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's one of the same names that is given to Jesus at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. That's what's coming up today on 2 for 10. So let's get it going. All right, guys, the passage we're looking at today is Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is the very beginning of Jesus's letter to the church at Pergamum. This is now the third church that we're going to see Jesus address individually, personally, in this amazing book of Revelation. Let's check it out. Revelation Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember, this is Jesus Christ speaking to the church at Pergamum. It goes like this. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. That was Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. There's a lot to get into in this passage. We've got the Church of Pergamum, Jesus saying, you dwell where Satan's throne is. You live where Satan dwells. You have a member who was killed, yet you did not deny my name. Holy smokes. Where do we begin? Well, let's start with the fact that Jesus tells the church at Pergamum, hey, the one who's writing to you, the one who's speaking to you right now is the one with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, look, we've already covered Jesus's appearance, right? Back in Revelation chapter one, ample time is given in the letter, and we spent several episodes talking about Jesus's appearance. He appears to John and he has all these amazing features, right? He has hair that's like white wool. It's as white as snow. He has eyes like flaming fire. He has feet like burnished bronze. He has a golden sash around his chest. And last but not least, he has a sharp two-edged sword protruding out of his mouth. Do you know why Jesus repeats certain of his physical characteristics to certain churches throughout this letter? For instance, to the church of Pergamum, he says, the one that's writing to you is the one with the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It's because it's what they need to hear. This is the certain attribute of Jesus that they needed to be reminded of. You see, what Jesus will go on to say to the church at Pergamum after he commends them for their faithfulness, which is what we're looking at today, verses 12 and 13. But what he'll go on to say is that there's certain people among you 
who practice evil works and who do immoral things. There are certain people among you who are not faithful. And if you don't deal with that, then I'm going to come to you and I'm going to make war against you. What does Jesus make war with? All throughout this book, it's the same thing. Jesus has one weapon. It's the sword that protrudes out of his mouth. It's the word of God. That's how Jesus fights his battles, by saying, as we see in the Gospels, it is written. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus tells a local church that he will come and make war with them? I'm just going to let that one sit for a while, and you can do with that what you will. Let's look here at what he says next. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet... You hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith. Guys, Pergamum was a very, very unique city in the Roman province of Asia in the first and second century. There's a well-known Roman novelist and philosopher. His name was Pliny the Elder. He described Pergamum as the crown jewel of the Roman Empire in the East. This was a place that was extremely cultured. It had a library with thousands of volumes, which was rare in the first century. It also was the the one city where the imperial cult was really founded in Asia. If you don't recall, the imperial cult was the group that really sort of spread and made popular the worship of the Roman emperor, the deification of secular authority. The first emperor, Augustus, built the first temple specifically designed for emperor worship in the city of Pergamum. Later on, the Roman emperor Trajan built another temple specifically designed for emperor worship. Guys, this city was the place more than any other city that was responsible for creating, for cultivating, and for preserving emperor worship worship, the deification of secular authority. Not only that, this was also a place where other pagan religions religions were regularly practiced. There was a massive altar to Zeus in the city of Pergamum. It was also the center of another cult, the cult of Asclepios, the ancient god of healing. It was a place where religion was rampant. And remember, The Roman Empire had a very specific policy about religion, and there was one central tenet that they expected of all their citizens, to worship all the gods. The Romans believed very strongly that all gods should be worshipped, all gods should be honored, all gods should be sought after. So that's why this little Jewish sect, as they were known in this time, called Christianity, was under such siege by the Romans, they only worshiped one God and the Romans did not like that. They wanted everybody to worship all the gods. And really Christians then were being told the same thing that they're being told right here, right now. You're intolerant and that makes you dangerous. The only difference between what's going on right now in our society and what's going on in Ancient Pergamum in the end of the first century is that none of us have had to give our lives for our faith yet, yet. 
Do you see now why Jesus refers to this city as the place where Satan dwells? The place where Satan's throne is? This city was the center, the center for imperial emperor worship. In fact, if you approach the city of Pergamum on the ancient road, remember, all the cities in the book of Revelation were built around this ring road that went around the Roman province of Asia. If you approached ancient Pergamum from the south, it was a city that was set on a hill surrounded by open plains. If you approached from the right direction, the city actually looked. It was designed to look like a giant throne resting above the open plains that surrounded it. That's why Jesus says, you live where Satan dwells. You live at the very epicenter of idolatry and of paganism, where you're being pressured nonstop to give in, to give in and to worship these other pagan gods. So it makes sense then that the next thing Jesus says to them is, yet you hold fast my name, even though you live where Satan's throne is, you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. You did not deny my faith. That's an amazing thing that Jesus says to the church. You did not deny my faith. Interesting. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you. Guys, after learning all this about the ancient city of Pergamum, it makes sense that this was the place in the Roman province of Asia where martyrdom first began for the Christian church. Antipas was the first Christian we have on record killed in the Roman province of Asia. Because he was faithful, Jesus gives him a nickname, doesn't he? He calls him my faithful witness, Antipas. Remember back in Revelation chapter 1 where Jesus is given a series of titles and one of them in Revelation 1, 5, he's called the faithful witness and Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the ruler of kings on earth. Yeah, guys, Jesus gives this martyred saint, Antipas, the same title, the same nickname that he himself received. Many people don't realize something that's very, very important in the New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. And this, there's a word that's translated in English all through your New Testament. It's the word witness. Witness. It also comes in verb form as to witness or to testify. This word in Greek is the Greek word martyreo. Martyreo. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like our word for martyr, doesn't it? Yes, it sounds exactly like our word for martyr because that, that's, that's what it is. It's the word martyreo. How is it that the Greek word martyr that used to mean and still does mean to this day in Greek to witness or to testify became known years later in English as one who gives their life? Well, it's because in these years, in these first few centuries of the faith, particularly in the Roman province of Asia, being a faithful witness, being one who testifies to their faith in Christ became almost synonymous with giving your life. Things in the Roman province of Asia, particularly in Pergamum, in the years following this letter would get increasingly difficult for Christians. And yet, what does Jesus tell them? The one who knows the beginning from the end, he commends them for holding fast 
to their faith, for not denying his faith, he says, and for holding fast his name. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Guys, it brings up sort of the main point of this passage that we're looking at today. It matters to God that you don't deny the faith and that you hold fast his name. Some people like to minimize this or write it off and say, well, you know, the truth is that we're actually saved by grace. And, you know, Jesus Christ wants us to be living witnesses. So if you have to deny the faith in order to save your own life, that's okay. It doesn't matter because, after all, we're saved by grace, right? Guys, that is not what Jesus says in this passage. He commends the church, and particularly Antipas, for not denying the faith and for holding fast to his name. See, many of us, including myself, have never had to actually make this choice yet. And last week, um, well, last episode, rather, we talked about how it is that we begin to prepare for the suffering that may be coming our way. And what we said was, the way you prepare to remain faithful to Jesus when times get tough is by starting now. Let your life be marked and defined by faithfulness to him right now. Make the Lord the center of your life. Spend time every day seeking him, worshiping him, loving him, being in his word, cultivating a life of prayer. Well, how do you prepare to not deny the faith if the day comes when maybe you're put in a position where you have to choose between your life and being a witness of the faith of Jesus Christ? Well, it starts by not denying the faith right now. You're like, well, wait a minute. I've never denied my faith. Well, maybe that's true. But how many Christians today are afraid to actually say what this book says because they're afraid of what people think? How many Christians have gotten to the point where they now say, you know, Jesus is the way for us, but he's not really the only way. Because at the end of the day, you know, God's going to save everyone. How many Christians have redefined, have allowed the gospel to be redefined in terms that are more appealing to our ever secular society, uh, ever to our society that's becoming ever more secular, ever more hostile to the things of God? The Christian faith is not a buffet-style faith. You don't get to pick and choose the things that you like and leave the rest behind. Jesus said the road is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The reason that it's narrow is because it's full of pressure, and there's going to be many people who decide, you know what, it's just not worth it. One of the ways that that happens is when people deny their faith in subtle ways by being honestly afraid to hold fast to what all of Scripture teaches. And that includes not just the way of salvation, but that includes issues of morality, of values, of the very pillars of our existence that God put in place from the very beginning. Things that Christians are not supposed to deny. What God says is right is right, and what God says is wrong is wrong. Period. End of story. That's as far as we go. We just say what he says. So look, the point of all this is to say simply, 
staying faithful to Jesus Christ and staying faithful to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints matters greatly to Jesus. Holding fast to him is something that all Christians are called to do. And at the end of the day, whether we live in a time and a place where we're going to have to go through great suffering in order to hold fast, or whether we're just going to get the opportunity to witness in a world where maybe people are less hostile to the things of God. If that's true, we thank God for it. Regardless of the situation that you're in, when you reach the end of your life and when you meet the Lord face to face, are you going to be one who he is able to look at you and say, well done, you have been a faithful witness of me in your life on earth. My friends, that's all the time we have for today. This has been Revelation chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13, Jesus is opening words to the church at Pergamum where he commends them for holding fast, for staying faithful, even though some of them, one of them in this case, gave their lives for the faith. I hope that you find the courage, if that day comes, to stay faithful as well. We'll be back next week for more 2 for 10, and we'll be back tomorrow on Friday for Watchmen. Until then, I'm Blake Barbera signing off. Stay blessed, live loved, and thank you so much for watching and listening to That You May Know Him.